Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and I am joined by a romance rock star. I already let her know I'm fangirling super hard, but the Andy J. Christopher is joining me today. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm so happy you're here. So tell us a little bit about you. Um, So I write romance uh, rom-coms with um, basically unlikable heroines. That's my thing. And um, the men who love them. And, well, people who love them. So um, I am an attorney. Um by day and a romance reader and writer by night. Um, I started reading actually category romances um, when I was about 10 years old and I found a bag of Harlequin romance novels in my grandmother's closet and I um, quickly realized which ones were going to have more kissing based on the author and divided those out immediately. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so I've been reading romance since I was 10. I started writing... Uh, writing romance about a decade ago now. Um, I wrote my first book, um, and then I wasn't published until January of 2017. So, okay, what? Okay, because you're an attorney, so that's a lot of school. Yeah. So, how did the? I mean, I think romance is just that genre. Like, I haven't been reading romance all my life like a lot of friends have like I started like right before I turned 30 but it's like definitely that genre that when you fall in love with it you're like I want to do this so was it always like were you always inspired to write or like how did the writing bug hit you like how did it happen I mean I think I started writing my first romance when I was like 13 I never finished that one um but I always thought I might want to write a romance um, and then when I was in law school, I, I would like take breaks with, with romance. I would read like, uh, I was still getting a subscription to like Harlequin Blazes. So they would send them to, to, um, so I would read, you know, at least six romances a month. Um, and then I took a break, I think from reading romance, I, I was trying to be, you know, misguided being in my mid twenties, trying to be a more serious person and impressing like terrible dudes. So I started reading like serious literature. Um, and then, you know, like 50 shades of gray came out and I was like, well, if, if we're cool about reading romance again, I'm going to go back to reading romance. So then I discovered like some of my favorite authors, like Kristen Ashley and Lauren Dane and, um, I also started reading more historicals. Like I, you know, whipped through Sarah McLean's backlist and, um, you know, that led me down the road to like Lisa Kleypas and, and, you know, basically to, to sort of all of the, all of the areas of romance. Like I was so happy when Ice Planet Barbarians got popular during the pandemic because I had read like the first five of them over a Christmas break a few years earlier. So And then I like I was also, you know, like like everyone who's about to turn 30, I was like, well, maybe I should get some therapy, too. So I went to therapy and, you know, my my day job's not super interesting. Um, And my therapist was like, you have like a wild imagination, like you should like do something with it. And so I took a writing class at um, the Writers Center in Bethesda that was called The Extreme Novelist. And actually, I wrote a rom-com script through a class there first. And then... Um, all of the guys in my class were like, well, I don't know, rom-coms are kind of dumb and this could actually be funnier. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll st- try to write an actual romance novel. So I took this class called The Extreme Novelist. It was eight weeks long. You wrote for like 90 minutes, six days a week. And that's how I finished my first book. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you you mentioned that earlier and I took two notes. I was like, I want to know why rom-coms. I love rom-coms, but as a rom-com writer, like what made you choose that lane? And then you also said you love writing um, unlikable heroines. I want to know why unlikable heroines. So if you could answer both of those, I'd love to know. Well, like I think rom-coms that just became, that was like, it was a little bit writing to market. That was what a lot of people, a lot of editors wanted to buy when I sort of switched from writing um, like more straight up spicy contemporary romance to rom-coms. 
Um, and I happened to, and I was trying to think of what else, what I wanted to write next. And I happened to watch, um, how to lose a guy in 10 days. And I was like, oh, this is like a great setup for a story, but this doesn't feel real anymore because I like, none of my friends are trying to feel like appear super, like a cool girl to guys. It's always guys doing terrible things that make, make us not want to date them in sort of like the heterosexual dating world. So um, that's how um, my first rom-com, Not the Girl You Marry, was born. Um, And then that, you know, did well. And so I started writing more, you know, romantic comedies and kind of letting letting my imagination run free with with respect to the concepts. And so I think probably one of my strengths as a writer is um, the ability to set up a really high concept story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think rom-coms which are what basically every single title contemporary romance is being marketed as anyway these days, um, really lend themselves to like a high concept. So what was the journey like for you getting Not the Girl You Married published? Like, was it easy? That one was really easy. It was, it was, it was wild. It was like, it was only on submission for a few weeks. That is amazing because that book was everywhere which well deserved but to hear that it was easy I'm like what (laughs) yeah I mean once the idea clicked and then um I just signed with uh with a with my previous agent and we you know I told her what I thought I wanted to do and she was like yes yes let's do this and um yeah it was within a few weeks that that we ended up selling that one so yeah and I I love it because like you said like you watch those like 90s 2000s rom-coms and if you're a fan you're just you're gonna love them but they are kind of like these moments in time like every time I watch like an old Nora Ephron or like Sleepless in Seattle for example I'm like how would this work today because this would not work today like if this movie came out today how would it work and that I love like with your writing you breathe new life into these stories that are so familiar. Like they're classics and they're great stories, but it's like, I get to see this in a different way that works. Right. I think that's also now to get back to your second question where, um, like the unlikable heroine comes in and like, I don't think my heroines are unlikable, but I think sort of in the canon of romance, like it's like, it's fairly recent that you're able to write like a grumpier heroine yeah, and have readers respond well to that. Um, and not all readers do, but like I, I feel really strongly as a biracial black woman that I want to stand for women like me getting to be messy and horrible, um, just as much as like, you know, a white romance heroine can be. Um, and so I, like, I don't want her to just be clumsy. I want her to be truly flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, and to me, that's, that's just interesting to write about and to write about women who are like me being um, truly flawed and also truly loved is like my whole mission statement as a romance author. Yeah. Do you remember when it hit you, like whether it was first book or to now, like that moment where you were like, okay, I'm doing this and people love what I'm doing. Do you remember when that hit you? I mean, I don't think it, I still don't think it has. Like, I'm still like, um, you know, I, when you think of like the people who really have a legacy, if you think about like, you know, like, nor, like anyone who's on like the Faded Mates Trailblazers episodes, you know, mm-hmm. you think about those authors. I'm still, I still feel like I'm sort of at the beginning of that journey. Um, but every time I get, like this week, um, a reader posted that, they had read Unrealistic Expectations, which comes out on Tuesday, on Tuesday, September 26th. So slightly before you, it'll be available when you hear this. Yes. Um, that I'm her comfort author. Oh, that yeah. like always just hits me in the feels and I start crying a little bit. So, I mean, every time I like, if I go to like an author event and people are like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I'm like, I'm just me. I promise. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just so normal. Like, <laughs> Like I'm, I'm fangirling over here about someone else. I promise. Like. <laughs> so for you as I, I, I love to find out as a romance writer and reader, what is your romance era right now? Like, what are you into? Oh my God. Um, I, 
I have been reading, um, I have been gifted with the opportunity to read uh, Nikki Payne's latest Sex, Lives, and Sensibility. Okay. Okay. And I am definitely in my Nikki Payne era right now. Um, I also, and this this book just came out recently, um, Regina Black's The Artist Scandal. Um, oh. So I am in my Regina Black stan area, uh, era right now. Um, I am perpetually in my Sarah McLean, um, <laughs> Stan era. Um, she's so great. Yeah. She's so great. And so I, I just like my era is always, or right now is I want to read books that feel just like really unapologetic. Um, and I want to read books that are, um, that like make me want to be better. And, like, I also go through eras where I just reread, like, the entire oeuvre of, like, one of my favorite authors. Um, and and those are – that happens, like, once or twice a year where I'll just go back and I'll read, like, one of my favorite authors from, like, beginning to end. And that might take me, like, a couple of months. Um, but, yeah, I, I, like, I'm really interested in exploring for myself um, as well as, you know – my colleagues like where where romance is going because I think we're I think we're moving somewhere I think we're moving maybe someday away from like the illustrated covers and into something like a little uh, like get, getting a little dark but maybe like not KU dark but I think I think we're I think we're moving somewhere I, I can sense it in the air so yeah I'm I've been I've been thinking about that a lot. I was like, I feel like the genre is, I mean, I feel like it's always shifting, but I was like, I don't know where it's going right now, <laughs> but it feels like there's a shift happening. Um, I, I don't know. I think I love the illustrated covers, but don't get me wrong. Like I love a male model on the cover too. So I'm kind right. of like split in the middle. Right. And I, and I don't think like, I don't have it. Like I have, I would never complain about the illustrated covers because I think they 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 allow people to like enter the world of romance a little bit easier sometimes. Yeah. Um, but like I do I I worry sometimes that they make it easier for like people outside of the genre to sort of infantilize romance readers, which I don't love. Um, but I think we're so good at like fighting back against that at this point yeah. that it's it's not it's not really of consequence to me. Like I'm not I'm not worried about, um, you know, a guy asking me at a DC cocktail party when I'm going to write a real book. Like I, you know, uh, like I'll walk away. Yeah. Um, we but are, I think now we're just like unapologetically like fuck off and we'll exactly. just keep on moving. I don't think anybody cares anymore. We're not bothered by it. It's right. It's like I'm. I've probably pleased your girlfriend more than you have. So yes. I mean, honestly, I don't. I don't. Um, like. And I don't even know her. So um, I think, yeah, I just think we're we're going someplace a little different. Like um, when I think about like, the art of scandal, like it's banana pants, like the whole, like the setup of it. It's so soapy and fun, um, but it's also like really deep and emotional and explores issues of class and race and age and ageism and I feel like no um, other genre does that but romance. No right. other genre can, get no other genre can do all of that in one book. Yes. Um, like a literary fiction is going to, it's going to focus on one, one of those things maybe. Um, not that I don't love literary fiction, but like, I just think, you know, we can do so much. I think, um, you know, my latest book, it's a fake dating story, but I'm like, I think I might, I think I might be done writing fake dating for a little while. Um, I think I want to do, you know, something else. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in an exploratory era. Like right now, as you're listening to this, I, or I, as we are recording this, I'm reading a book, um, that I'm going to talk about at, um, a drunk romance history event, which will have taken place on September 29th. And it is the protagonist, one of the protagonists is a caveman who doesn't have the capacity <laughs> for language. Okay. Okay. And I don't know what to think about this book yet, but I'm like, it's so like, you would never think of doing that. And then I also, I mean, like the, the sort of rise of monster romance, I think is so interesting to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, so we're, we're hooking up with monsters now. That's great. Like, like I never would have thought that would have happened, you know, 
But they're so good. Ago. Yeah, they're they're just so good. They're so yeah. There's good. Uh, like, like they're how so did good. we get here? How did we get here? <laughs> I mean, like romance is so creative. It's so generative. Um, and that's really like you know I have I have my beast with with romance in some ways, but like that's not one of them. It's it's so generative and creative and imaginative that I don't I just don't think you can actually predict it all that well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think. I think I think we're going someplace else. I don't know. I mean, we could be like in rom com era forever, but I think I think we're moving somewhere. With you'd mentioned fake dating, which mm-hmm. I I love, but as a writer, you mentioned you wanna you wanna do something else. Why do you think it is a trope that I mean in any of the fake, whether it's you know, marriage of convenience, fake marriage the fake tropes, I tend to really love, but I know I hear a lot of readers that do you know, they're like, it's all over the place. As a writer of it and as a reader of romance, why do you think it is like such a like everlasting trope? Like it just, it's, it's never going to go anywhere. And for somebody that like creatively has done it, how do you know, like, okay, I need to switch gears a little bit? Well, I, I think, I mean, I love it too, because I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have done it, you know, three times in my last five books. Um, but and in different ways. But I think in a contemporary in a contemporary setting, I th- and especially now as I feel like I don't know TikTok and al- allowing people to like confess into their phones with their into people's faces, like there's less stigmatization of being single during important events in your life. So there's only so many reasons why you would need to fake date. So I think as a creative, I, I've gone through a bunch of them. And so now I'm like, um, and, and there's so many reasons why two people, there's only so many reasons why too many people, why two people can't be together in a contemporary romance too um, right now. Like we, you know, despite certain trends in our country, we do live in a freer society than we ever have before. Um, so I think it's, it's sort of whimsical. I think that's yeah. why people like it so much. It's sort of like, what if I could tell my ex to suck it, like by having this like hot billionaire fly me to my brother's bachelor bachelorette party? <laughs> like, you're not the kind of guy. Yeah. Like, why? Like, if if my job depends on me being like, ha- like into dating into love and into dating and marriage like not the girl you marry like I'll just fake date this guy um and and prove it it's it's like it's like one of those things where you're like and also like I think let people love to watch other people being wrong about what they want and what they need on the page in a romance like that's I mean for me like when a hero is like I'm allergic to feelings I'll never feel anything and then he has a feeling so this is why I love a Harlequin Presents because like (laughs) they've never met a feeling in their life (laughs) um that I mean that's that's everybody's favorite thing so people who fooling themselves is is fun to read um and it's fun to write too because you're like oh these two dummies so you started with presents and you said you had a subscription to blaze yes what did you love about blaze i I mean i loved that they were spicy and i also loved that they were like um sort of like regular people that i i felt like i knew yeah um i think those authors were like writing a category romance i think nora nora roberts said it's like you know it's choreographing swan lake in a phone booth Yes. They get those like emotions. They get those like conflicts like out on the page so early. And one thing I love in a romance is when the hero, where where the two main characters or three main characters or however many main characters you have are not apart that much where they're like on the page together through most of the book. So it's, it's all relationship. Um, And so that's kind of what I, what I loved about those. And I loved that I could sit down and read one in two hours. Yeah. Um, and then I, and you know, and I like that, that spice level was, was right for me at that time until I found like, you know, KU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We have to talk unrealistic expectations. Yes. What for anyone that hasn't read it yet, what is your, your pitch for it? How would you describe it to them? So it's imagine if, 
a relationship therapist who wrote a dating advice book for specifically geared towards straight men was dumped by her long-term boyfriend on the day that book came out and then ran into an old college friend who had sort of undergone, um, and this is like a two-year-old reference at this point, but the West Elm Caleb treatment, um, sort of outed as being like a bad boyfriend and was on the other side of that and figuring out his stuff. So like a reform, and I love a reformed rake. Um, pretty much that's my favorite hero archetype. Um, and so I wanted to play with someone, who play with the, the dynamic between someone who doesn't really have like a, who has sort of a negative view of like passionate romantic love, mm-hmm. even though she counsels people who are in passionate romantic love all the time. And, um, and a reformed rake who, you know, she's attracted to, but she's like, I think this guy is like probably a bad choice for me, even though he's like the best choice for her in the end. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, TikTok, because I was spending a lot of time on on that app um, during the pandemic, there's so much dating advice on there and it's so bad. And it's always like, you should ignore the person you have chemistry with and date someone who's good on paper. Um, and I'm like, that, that would never, that would never work as a romance novel. Um, and so I wanted to take someone who really believed that and throw them into a romance novel. I adore Jessica and you really, you put her through the ringer. I feel like, especially in the very beginning of the book, like you just did not hold back. And the the breakup came as a shock to her. Uh, and it felt like such a gut punch, like the way that you wrote her response to it, like just walking in, like totally like what's going on? Who are all these people? <laughs> like, why are they moving furniture? What's going on? It just felt like, it's it's so real. So like, I, I I hate to say like, did you do any kind of was there any kind of research that went into this? But like the whole like breakup and the dating, because um, then she's like on she's doing an interview and this lady's like almost in a way calling her out. And I'm like, Andy, what were you watching or reading to put all of this together? Because it just felt so real and it felt real to like right now. Like what I imagine being broken up with and trying to date right now would feel like? Well, I've been broken up with a lot. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I just like kind of drew on all that experience and I was like, what? And it, that was the breakup itself was like really just like a what if in my head of like, okay. what's like, what's the worst way you could get broken up with, especially if you're like literally a therapist and pride yourself on your ability to, to like work on your relationships. Um, and so giving her just really just no option um, and, and no no chance to work on it, I think, was like the worst way that that she could be broken up with. And so that's how I set that up. And then the podcaster is based on a real person who's like pod- I heard her on someone else's podcast because um, I'm one of those people who's always listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a romance related podcast. It was it was she was a she's a dating advice coach and I just thought she was awful oh gosh (laughs) um and I think she's just like really awful and somewhat harmful um and so I just and also I like I have this whole thing about like the dating industry itself like dating coaches matchmakers dating apps especially Mm -hmm. they're like financial goals don't align with you actually finding a good relationship. Okay. Yeah. Um, they make more money if you fail at relationships because you're then coming back to the app and paying to see more people. So it's it's really sort of like social media too. It's like they're they're you're not you're not you the are customer. A product you're to the them. product. You're the product. <laughs> so um I just kind of wanted to to write about that and put that on the page and hopefully people get that like I don't think this person's good that I think um I'm sure they will (laughs) oh yeah yeah definitely yeah um but I just wanted to put that on the page because I think it's like so it's so antithetical to like what I do as a romance author and people are always like well you're a romance author like why are you single why aren't you out dating a lot and I'm like because dating is terrible like um you know if you 
like I and I don't expect to, to like experience a romance novel. Um, and I think that's you know the that that's the origin of the title. Like no one it no one's expecting to actually experience the romance novel. And so, but we all should be having like unrealistic expectations at this point. Um, but I just I wanted to like write about that and how like you know dating and dating advice and sort of this like dating industrial complex is is not good for the world of romance yeah um or good for you know people looking for true and genuine connection necessarily was it always a no-brainer like did it immediately come to you that like jessica wrote this dating book for men or did you ever think like she she wrote it because you you did say at one point in the book um i think it's when she's talking to the the podcaster and she's like men don't buy dating books and i i was thinking i was like when's the last time because i used to read a ton of just nonfiction, like self-help type stuff and i'm like when was the last time like i remember steve harvey's book coming out and i'm like yeah. that was for women when right. do when's the last time i saw like a dating guide for men like the only one i can think of is like the game which is like for pickup artists so it's like there aren't any good dating advice books for men. And as I was editing the book, all of this news came out about how, you know, like single men are so lonely because um, women are choosing like themselves um, instead of instead of relationships. They're choosing, you know, to be in relationships with other women or to be single yeah. um, instead of being with men who like are unwilling or unable to like meet their emotional needs. And so I think, you know, I hope that they're like genuine. And, and I think Jessica's genuinely qualified to write a dating advice book for men because like, you know, it's, it's really like, it's, you know, it's, it's a guide in my head what the book is. Cause I don't put much of the book in the book. Um, it's a guide to like being more emotionally available or emotionally opening up or being more vulnerable. Um, and I also, I mean, also part of it's a joke that if anyone ever paid me to write a dating advice book, that that was what <laughs> the title would be. Um, so that's kind of why I I put that in there. And I mean, like, I, don't, I like I don't know if you remember, like the early aughts were rife with like terrible dating advice books. There was one that was like, "You're single because you're a bitch." And it was I remember, like, yeah, <laughs> it was so mean, and I was like. There, you could have entitled some. You could have entitled a dating advice book. You'll be alone forever because you're a fat, ugly cow. Like, and it would have been and on that been, first table at Barnes and Noble or yes. Vix a Million. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It would have been everywhere. It would have been a New York Times bestseller. And so, as like an elder millennial, when I'm explaining to like Gen Z folks, Gen Z friends, that like, hey, like. You're, you have to give some of your elder millennial friends some grace because of the, like, rampant, like, fat phobia and, like, misogyny <laughs> that we just – that was just part of the air and the water when we were coming of age. Or even, like, the dating shows. Like, oh my God. I don't – do you remember – MTV used to have that show called Singled Out. Like, I was, like, a kid. Like, I'm born in 86. So I was, like, a kid watching this. And I just remember being addicted to it. And I'm like, huh, this is how – people find love like they go on these dating shows on right. MTV <laughs> right I mean even even now like The Bachelor are you kidding me <laughs> like um and then I had someone because they shot and apparently they shot a, a season of Love is Blind in DC I had like two people say oh you should go on this I'm like I would never no, I would yeah. never, not even for publicity. Like the horrible um, things that I hear about the, ba the behind the scenes of The Bachelor, I'm like, no thanks, <laughs> no thanks. No, I would get kicked off the first week because, like, I would say this guy's this guy's a douche. I don't want to be here. <laughs> um, I mean, I am kind of interested in, t in watching like The Golden Bachelor though because I feel like that's going to be the horniest season of The Bachelor ever. Oh yeah. Um. Like, I just feel like when people reach a certain age, they're just not – they're not down for the BS, and it's just going to be a party. Well, what happened – like, how did Galvin – Galvin and his situation come to you? Because I loved that it was an influencer, and it just kind of showed, like, yeah, you <laughs> – it's, it's so – as somebody that, like – has spent a lot of time on social media. It's like you showed kind of the downfall of being with someone who has millions of followers. 
Right. So I was thinking, I was like, what if like Kim Kardashian dated like kind of a regular guy, but like an architect who'd been like on, you know, something like Selling Sunset or something. So he's sort of like a mini influencer, like because he has to be for his career because he's a residential architect. And so um, he sort of has to be online a little bit, but she's like really, really online. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it's just terrible to like, I think it would be terrible to date someone with millions and millions of followers. I think, you know, for me personally, like if I did actually date Lewis Hamilton, which is a dream of mine, um, I, you know, you would get picked apart constantly. Yeah. Um, But also just like if you break up, then there's and and they can kind of like, you know, rally their trolls around you, uh, like against you. It's just a nightmare. And I also felt like (laughs) – you know, the, there was that West Elm Caleb story that, and like, this guy doesn't sound great. He would like, you know, send the same playlist to every girl he was dating. He would make all sorts of promises and then he would disappear, which is not, I mean, that's just run of the mill bad guy stuff, right? right? Um, But then he got his like life destroyed <laughs> on um uh, because of TikTok. Yeah. Or like the guy on the couch whose girlfriend showed up and he was sitting next to another girl. And, you know, you don't know the story. And then, you know, he's getting doxxed. So I just think um, I kind of wanted to explore that dynamic and how like that thing happening to him could like actually prompt him to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's when all the like fake dating magic happens is it her publicist like he is like intimidate her publicist is very intimidating and everything comes together and I was like oh I just I love when they both have a reason they need for it to happen like they'll benefit from the whole fake date right I mean that's the that's a huge challenge in the setup of a fake dating romance is like they have to have a good enough reason to fake date because if they don't have a good enough reason to fake date, like why would they do it for very long enough to fall in love with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it's important for me at least to like show that they're a, a little, at least a little bit attracted to each other before like the fake dating happens to make it a, a little bit more attractive. Um, but I do love the character of her publicist. Um, I like for me in like a romantic comedy, my favorite character is always like the like pushy, overbearing best friend. And so, like, in Thank You Next, um, Alex's best friend Jane yes. is probably one of my favorite characters to write because <laughs> she's just, like, she just says exactly what she what she thinks. And um, I love to have that person who kind of, like, sees through the ruse of the fake dating. So, like, Abby, I think, you know, in my head, she saw them together and she's like oh he seems much better for her than that other guy yeah i hated him she so was let- like referring to luke at one point and she's like i can't make that much magic happen <laughs> so she's great <laughs> exactly like that's like that's a character that's the kind of character that really makes like a a fate like a romantic comedy especially a fake dating one sort of like that that's the magic like side characters are probably some of my favorite characters to write I love her friends. I love Jessica's friends. Is it Barbie and Kelly? Is it Barbie and Barbie Kelly? Barbie and Kelly. Those are Barbie and Kelly. I, um, I stole my friends' name, my fr- college friends' names, and so um, I'm I'm preparing myself for like, is this really how you see me? And I'm like, no, I just stole your name. <laughs> Why was it like? Um, is it is it important for you? Like, was it important for Jessica to have them to you? Yeah, I mean, I don't like to write, uh, like, Galvin, you don't really see his friends. And, like, one thing I do, like, one thing I am, like, I'm, you know, one area of growth for me as a romance author is I'm, like, I'm not, like, I'm going to give my guys more friends, I think, going forward. But, um, because it's, I mean, because everybody needs friends. But I really always even though I write, you know, quote unquote, unlikable heroines, I'm never going to write like a quote unquote cool girl who doesn't, who like doesn't get along with other women. I think that's just, it's like unrelatable to me. Yeah. Um, And so like, I rely on my friends a lot for a lot. And so, yeah. I think so too. Do you feel like the era of the cool girl is over? I feel like now women are like, uh, 
I need my girls. I need my girls. Exactly. I, I, I think it, I, it, it never started for me. Cause I was like, Oh wow. I guess I'm not a cool girl. Cool. Thanks for letting me know. Um, but I think it is over. I don't, I don't think we're doing that anymore. We're not, you know, trying to be cool for, for dudes. Cause the, like, I think the sort of like men's loneliness research tells us that like letting a dude isolate you to meet his emotional needs is not like the way forward. It's not the way towards happiness. And so, um, you know, you can't get like, I don't, I still like, I, you know, I am a romantic cause I write romance, but I just, you know, I don't think you can get everything you need from one relationship. I think you have to cultivate like a circle of relationships around that central romantic relationship if you have it. And also like single people deserve to have like, you know, emotional fulfillment too. So. Yeah. So we were chatting before we hopped on here. Like I really wanted to talk because as I was reading this, I was like thinking about all the big pop culture breakups <laughs> that mm-hmm. affect me. I don't know. I think it's because Galvin's ex was an, was an influencer. So like I, I had not really paid that much attention to breakups. I feel like since like the era of Britney and Justin, I kind of just stopped caring after that. But then recently, because I'm a big Ariana Grande fan, and I learned that like she's divorcing her husband and possibly had like moved on with this guy who's married. And I'm like, this is so messy. Why am I spending hours on TikTok watching videos about this? And I'm like, I have to talk to Andy about this because both of our characters are broken up with. What is our interest, our fascination with the breakup? Well, when I was in, you know, the aforementioned law school, I did spend a lot of uh, free time um, or time in seriously boring classes on like go fuck yourself and um, like gossip blogs and like like even like Perez Hilton or like the defamer (laughs) like you know I had to I had to read my stories every day and so I think I've always had an interest in like pop culture breakups um and more recently like I'm a like I'm a who weekly listener and so um it's like it's all the celebrity gossip you need to know about the celebrities you don't. So it's like basically people, when you mention who they are, they're like, who? (laughs) And I think like um, SpongeBob and like Ariana Grande is a them, but like SpongeBob is definitely a who, uh, the guy that she allegedly moved on with. Um, And so like, I just, I'm interested in that. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's probably a character flaw, but I just like, I love mess. Um, like I follow Formula One and I follow like the wags and the breakups just as closely. <laughs> like I, yes. uh, like one of my Formula One friends is also a, she's also a gossip aficionado. So like she'll be in my DMs or I'll be in her DMs. Like if we see like something suspicious, like in the social media, <laughs> one of the drivers, like, she'll be like, I saw this, this woman has a lot of self-help books recently. I think they're breaking up or like, um, <laughs> yes. Right. Or like this guy always dates women who are exactly the same. I wonder what's his, what his deal is. Like they could all be sisters. Like it's, it's wild. So like that's, um that's fun for me and like I mean right now like the whole PR game and it's you know divorce is terrible especially when there are children involved but like the Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner like PR mess around their breakup is so interesting to me and like the fact that she just like went out to dinner with Taylor Swift was honestly chef's kiss like she, you went like she was already winning because like he was like desperately trying to paint her as a bad mother when she's like I was working and you're their father and this is what we agreed to do yeah yeah um but yeah so I I I just find I just find that fascinating I'm always I've always been a gossip aficionado um, oh my gosh I know I just like I felt so reconnected with my younger self I was like I am spending hours into this and I think the most interesting part of like the Ariana situation was I was like people don't even know she's married (laughs) like how did you guys not know (laughs) yeah she just married this guy and like I I also think like if you and she's really young so I feel like when you get married that young it's it's it 
that's that's a hard sell for me. Like, I feel like maybe they shouldn't issue marriage licenses to people under 30. But, I mean, that's not fair. It's not true. But, like, you know. Um, Do you think maybe- it's, like, something that, like, we're – because I've been, like, is it because it's something that if you are a dater, if you've dated, you, we, we all experience – is it just like the juicy mess of it all? Like, what are we so interested in this for? I mean, I think because, you know, even influencers, celebrities, even like everyday people sort of curate their lives so much for public consumption now. I think it's inherently titillating to see when that sort of facade that people build up falls apart. I mean, I think we've always really been interested in public versus private personas. Um, I think, like, I was recently listening to um, Faded Mates again when they had um, Jackie Collins' daughters I, on. I listened to that episode, like, twice back to back. Yes, so twice good. in the same day. Twice yes. in the same day. It's amazing. <laughs> and so, and I, like, I've been obsessed with that documentary since it came out. Like, I've been evangelizing about it. Um, oh, same. When they talk about her dad like her husband and how he would like stand at the bottom of the stairs and just like watch her walk down oh I swoon every time so good and also how he like encouraged her to actually write a book I I feel like that's I mean that's how you know who to marry is the guy who's like yeah yeah I think you should I think you should actually finish a book who is willing to give up like time and attention in order to see you succeed and follow your dreams anyhow I think her writing about like I think her writing about like Hollywood people and having, you know, standing characters for Hollywood people has always been, you know, in the back of my head. Cause I read her books. My mom and grandma always had like her newest, um, newest book in like the late eighties and early nineties. And I was like way too young to be reading them. But like in the early nineties I was, and I would, I would even like check them out of the library. Um, and I, like, I think we're just always interested in in the private side of a public persona. And so I think the closest we really get is these, like, tales of, like, tales of breakups, like, when things fall apart. Like, why were we all so fascinated with, like, that moment in the elevator with Beyonce, Solange, and Jay-Z? Yeah. Because it was, it was not part of their public persona. The curtain but, was peeled back. <laughs> exactly. But then what's so brilliant about Beyonce, and I can talk about how brilliant Beyonce is, you know, forever and ever is like she took that moment and turned it into lemonade. She did. Yes. And I mean, we always had like, we had blogs and we had like, I used to spend like entire Saturdays watching the E channel, like E True Hollywood story. I love it. Like, how do you think now? And I, I thought a lot about this because Gavin's ex was a social media influencer, like the world of now TikTok and reels. Like, how do you think that, has affected how we view breakups. I mean, I feel like TikTok, what's so interesting about it is like, I've seen a lot of people like influencers or content creators on TikTok start dating each other and then break up. And then there's like, then there's that mess, but the mess is sort of a puzzle. Mm. Like you gotta like, you gotta solve a mystery. Yeah. And so I think it just, (laughs) I mean, especially when TikTok came to prominence, it was like during a time when we didn't have anything to do outside of the house. So like getting to solve a mystery from the comfort of your, of your darkened bedroom at 3am is, is very appealing. And so I think it just, it sort of democratizes it. It turns us all a little bit into gossip columnists. Um, Cause you used to just have like, you know, like Cindy Adams and Liz Smith, that would show like I like my grandma would watch talk shows during the day and so they would go on like the Joan River show and and gossip about people and so like um like I remember it's like Burt Reynolds had like a really messy divorce in the 80s that I recall for some reason and I was literally a small child (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the roots of our like love of mess like I'm like I used to watch Jerry Springer as soon as I got home to my grands after school. And then it moved to like Mari and it's like, he's doing all these paternity tests and I was hooked because nobody was ever the father. And I'm like, that's where it started. That's where it started. And and now we all watch like, you know, housewives and that's, that's like, I feel like housewives have fully replaced soap operas in a way. 
Mm, yeah. Like you don't have to watch soap operas because – and those are a lot of like the same stories over and over again in different packages. Housewives, same thing. Um, but sometimes a little bit glossier and they're real people. So it doesn't feel as like, oh, this isn't as cheesy because it's a real person. But also it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think – yeah, I think – I think it all goes back to yeah, Sally Jesse Raphael. And, oh, um, with the big red glasses, bless her glasses. heart. <laughs> yes, loved that show. But I mean, I also like learned, like you know, I think that was the first place I learned what a white supremacist was was like <laughs> on Phil Donahue. So like, you know, they did you provide some education, and you know, um, not not a good education, but they did. Um, but like. I think just as humans, we want to just, we love mess. Um, We see mess and we want to figure it out and we want to, you know, I think there's like a craven part in a lot of us that like wants to feel like, oh, this would never happen to me because I'm better than this. And it's not true. Like it's, it could happen to anybody. Um, Sort of like our love of true crime. Like, you know, you, you want to figure it out so you don't suffer the same fate. But the irony is like, you know, you, there's nothing you can do the most for, for the most part. Um, wow, I'm so dark. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I thought about it. I was like, some of my favorite songs. I think most of my favorite songs. Like when you really sit and read the lyrics, you're like, most of the best are breakup songs or like heartbreak songs. So right. Like- I mean, let's think about Taylor Swift. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know. She, every time she breaks up with someone, she's like, I'm, I'm sure it's like, I would feel like a cha-ching in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Let's time to write another great album. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's a couple Taylor Swift songs that I turn on just to, like, remember a bad breakup and cry if I need to, like, evoke that yeah. to write something. Yeah. So what do you, I'm sure, are you working on something now? Like, what, what do you want to do next that you haven't done yet? I am working on some things that I cannot talk about. Okay. <laughs> but like I, trope wise, is there something you're like, I really want to try this? Um, I am like exploring. Okay. So I think I can say like with the thing that I'm writing now, I'm exploring or things that I'm writing now, I'm exploring capitalism, okay, class, um, beauty, aging, um, and and time. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Okay. So, so the, yeah. So those are, those are themes I'm exploring, um, in a really fun, still humorous, but probably darkly humorous package. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you some like random round out questions, just whatever comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Okay. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? I think I would put unlikable heroin on. Okay. Love that. We need that on a shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what is your all-time, and if it's more than one, that's fine, all-time favorite rom-com, whether it's movie, book, whatever? Oh, crap. Um, I have to have a favorite. I mean, I think it's How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so good. Is there one that you've watched that you're like, this did not age well, or it just did not hit like it hit the first time you watched it? Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of them. Um, can I give you one that did age better? Like, I liked it better when yeah. I watched it recently. Moonstruck. Oh, okay. Okay. I liked it better when I watched it recently than I did when I was much, much younger because I, I don't think I fully grasped, like, the the full the full world of emotion in that movie. If you could have the experience of rereading a book for the first time, what book would you pick? Um, the Devil in Winter by Lisa Kleypas. Okay. Why would you, why that one? Um, cause that's, it's, I know this is controversial. That's my favorite Lisa Kleypas. Um, okay. I love, I love a reformed rake. So Sebastian, just to be able to experience him. Like if every time I picked up that book, I probably read it once a year. If every time I picked up that book, it was the first time I would be happy. If you, Okay. And this may be unlikable heroin again, but you're writing your memoir of your life right now. What would the title be? Um, it would be unlikable heroin. Okay, <laughs> like I have a strong brand. You do. Um, 
I mean, if it was like, if it was a memoir of how I found love, it would be like how I found my stern brunch daddy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay. Mixtape to your life. I know there are probably hundreds of songs, but give me three that would be on there for sure. Um, the one by Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm gonna go to the Spotify. Okay, and and go to, and then it would probably have to be one of my grandmother's songs. Um, so I based the character of Lexi Turner in um Thank You Next on my grandmother, and her name is um Lorenzo Alexandria, and it would probably be Send in the Clowns, her rendition of that song. Okay, and then. There's got to be a Beyonce on there. I was about to say. There's got to be a Beyonce on there. But that's like really, really – that's hard. Let me – I'm going to – I mean, because she just has so many. She has so many. I'm going to go with Sorry by Beyonce. Okay. Okay. And, I mean, we're recording this on a Saturday. So it's Saturday night, and you're like, I want takeout for dinner. Where would you order, and what would you order? Okay, so um, I live in D.C., and I have this beautiful, beautiful um, Malaysian restaurant that's, like, two blocks away from me, and they have these, like, spicy noodles. Oh, sounds um, so good. Yeah, and there's, like, ground pork and, like, little fish heads in there, and they're so good. Um, and it's so spicy, and it's, like, if I have a cold, that's what I want to eat. Um, but, yeah, yeah, spicy noodles. Um, I order a lot of takeout. I also have like a almost three month old puppy. And so I'm not really spending a lot of time cooking these days. So, (laughs) oh, (laughs) and are like knowing what you know now, writing wise, author wise, what would Andy today go back and tell Andy at the beginning when you first started writing, writing career? Um, you know, like nothing is permanent, like, you know, Every writer experiences loads and loads of rejection um, that, like, you, you're never a permanent failure and you're never a permanent success in this business. Um, that And that there's always, like, something new to, to explore and new to write. Well, where can everyone keep up with you online? I, okay, so I did finally deactivate my Twitter. Okay. So, I, so I'm no longer there. Um, but I am on Instagram at author Andy J. Um, I am the same on TikTok. Um, I don't make a ton of TikToks, but I, I am there. Um, my website is andyjchristopher.com. And then I have a Substack. It's called the Stern Brunch Daddy Digest. I'm going to be doing a little spooky season, um, spooky season serial that's like it's been previously published on a on a smaller scale as part of like a patreon um in october so oh my gosh okay all right well links to all of that will be in the show notes listeners you need to keep up with andy j christopher you need to get your copy of unrealistic expectations jessica and galvin they're just so perfect thank you so much for hanging out with me today thanks so much for having me this was so much fun i'm glad i'm glad we got to to meet virtually i know (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.